Hi, and welcome to the GMC Sunday podcast, where our team from GMC, Gillespie Memorial Church in Dunfermline, Scotland, bring you our weekly message from the Lord. In this podcast, we bring you a series in the prophet Hosea, Power of the Redeeming Love of God. Hosea's story, his life and his prophetic word to Israel is about its, Israel's, promiscuity. In other words, their idolatry and going after other gods. This book does not leave the reader to guess about who God is, but instead introduces his uniqueness and sovereignty, a message much needed in the church today. Ultimately, the message of Hosea is one of divine compassion and a love that will not let God's people go. May these words from Hosea be a blessing to you today. But now, before the word from God, we will lead you in a time of prayer. Let's pray. Lord God, Father Creator, we gather to worship and bring you all glory. For in our worship today, we come to know you by your word, through song and by prayer. So, Father, receive our worship. Thank you for all your providing and grace. For the roofs over our heads, the clothes on our bodies, the food in our cupboards and fridges, for the power in our homes, the water in our taps. So much of our day today, Lord, we take for granted. So now we give thanks to all who work to provide the means and necessities of life, but to you, Lord, we give eternal gratitude, for it all comes from you. Nothing we have had, do have, or will have had its existence without you. For you are the, you are the God of all creation, so we bow and honor your name, your powerful name. Father, Lord God Almighty, you see us as we are, prone to the allure of the world and the temptations in it, the temptation of the evil one. We are devoid of judgment so often between what is right and what is wrong, and we can get carried away by mere flippancy about how you abhor sin. So, Lord God, guide us by your light, Restrain our lusts by the power of Jesus that is extinguishes in us every fervor of our sin. Let us seek to breathe in your word and resist the wiles of this world in order that we would increase in holiness and righteousness. So Lord, may we be led by Holy Spirit that we might proceed in the right course on which we enter under your guiding and directing hand. Your hand necessary so that we might never go astray from your word, not by any means or turn aside from pursuing the mark you have set before us, the mark of righteousness found in and through your Son, who is our Redeemer. Though Satan may attempt to draw us aside in the warfare of this present life, I pray we will continue in kingdom service and so proceed until we arrive at blessed rest 
which you have promised to us in Christ Jesus, in whose name we now pray together, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory now and forever. Amen. Following our prayer, I hope this has prepared your heart to receive deeply from God's Word, wherever you are today and however you are feeling. Please know that God's Word is powerful, with the ability to change your life, so listen in to the reading and the exposition from our preacher today. If anything in the readings or the message from the preacher challenges you, raises questions in your heart and your mind, or maybe you just want to know more about Christian faith and getting to know the Lord Jesus, we would love to hear from you. So get in touch via our website or through the office. Details are in our show notes. If you'd like to support GMC financially in our Ministry for the Kingdom, then offering details can be found on the homepage of our website, gillespiechurch.org. Now, over to our preacher. I'm going to read from God's Word. I'm continuing with the uh, ESV version. Um, And the reading today is uh, the second half of verse 11 at the end of chapter 6. So 6 verse 11b through to uh, chapter 7 verse 16. Hear the word of God. When I restore the fortunes of my people, when I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed and the evil deeds of Samaria For they deal falsely. The thief breaks in and the bandits raid outside. But they do not consider that I remember all their evil. Now their deeds surround them, they are before my face. By their evil they make the king glad and the princes by their treachery. They are all adulterers. They are like a heated oven whose baker ceases to stir the fire from the kneading of the dough until it is leavened. On the day of our king, the princes became sick with the heat of wine. He stretched out his hand with mockers. For with hearts like an oven, they approached their intrigue. All night their anger smolders. In the morning it blazes like a flaming fire. All of them are hot as an oven, and they devour their rulers. All their kings have fallen, and none of them calls upon me. Ephraim mixes himself with the peoples. Ephraim is a cake not turned. Strangers devour his strength and he knows it not. Grey hairs are sprinkled upon him and he knows it not. The pride of Israel testifies to his face, yet they do not return to the Lord their God nor seek him for all this. Ephraim is like a dove. Silly and without sense, calling to Egypt, going to Assyria. As they go, I will spread over them my net. I will bring them down like birds of the heavens. I will discipline them according to the report made to their congregation. Woe to them, for they have strayed from me. 
destruction to them, for they have rebelled against me. I would redeem them, but they speak lies against me. They do not cry to me from the heart, but they wail up on their beds. For grain and wine they gash themselves, they rebel against me. Although I trained and strengthened their arms, yet they devise evil against me. They return, but not upward. They are like a treacherous bow. Their princes shall fall by their sword because of the insolence of their tongue. This shall be their derision in the land of Egypt. Thanks be to God for the reading of his holy word. To his name be praise and glory. Last week, Lee uh, laid out again before us the ongoing nature of God's word to Israel from Hosea, through the prophet Hosea, I probably should say. Uh, And it's really this, be my people, do not rebel. Be my people, do not rebel. Repentance is necessary if you want to return to the one true God. Yet, because the narrative continues, it seems that Israel is either unwilling or unable to do this, to return to God. Last week's reading, um, briefly, in verse 6, it said, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. doesn't need them to go to the temple for sacrifice. God wants their steadfast love, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. This verse was twice quoted by Jesus. When Jesus was with Matthew in his house, eating with sinners and tax collectors, the Pharisees asked Jesus, asked the disciples, why Jesus was dining with these people, clearly as far as they were concerned, the unwashed and the unloved. Jesus told them at that point, it's not the healthy, but the sick who need a physician. And then he quotes that verse from Hosea. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. And the second time is when the disciples are plucking heads of grain from the field to, I assume, ground to make for food on the Sabbath for all, for all things. And again, the Pharisees uh, condemn Jesus and the disciples for doing what was not lawful. Jesus points them to the story of David who ate the temple bread, the, temp- the bread of the presence from the temple, which again was not lawful. And then he goes on again to quote Hosea 6.6. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Jesus in both accounts and in Hosea, which we are reading, it's clear the people do not understand the character of God. The character of God requires mercy and steadfast love. We receive his mercy, his steadfast love to us. We're expected to reflect it towards others. The same steadfast love and mercy to others. In other words, we need to know Jesus in our context. For his righteousness is imputed to those who know him as Savior and Lord. And because it's imputed, that righteousness, the fruit that comes from it, is love and mercy, not religiosity. It was the Pharisees' religiosity was their problem. Just as Hosea is addressing their forebears in Israel. And so in this chapter of Hosea, in chapter 7, 
the Lord continues to speak through the prophet concerning the sins and failings of Israel, the northern kingdom of Ephraim, which are many. I mean, if you, if you go away and you look at this passage, verse by verse, the sins are many. In 7.1, there's crime, deceit, theft, and robbery. In verse 2, there's evil deeds and sin. In verse 3, wickedness and lying. In verse 4, adultery. Verse 5, drunkenness and mockery. There's 16 verses. That's only the first five. The list goes on. And at the end, verse 16, what are they not doing? There is no turning to the Most High. They are not seeking Yahweh. They are not seeking a God. In other words, there's no repentance, no seeking of the Lord, no true worship, no wisdom in the people. And the, this ongoing condemnation of the people from Hosea is about the severity of their sins. Because God hates the people's deceitfulness and their plotting. Yes, he hates sin. We think of God as a loving God, and he absolutely is, but because he loves, he hates sin. He hates their plotting, their violence, their killing, and most of all, not seeking him. For if they had sought him, they would not be reveling in their filth of sinfulness. But look, notice how the passage starts. Verse Uh, 11b, whenever I would restore the fortunes of my people, whenever I would heal Israel. He's talking about restoration and healing. But he goes on to say, the sins of Ephraim are exposed and the crimes of Samaria are revealed. When God restores, he's restoring from a place of fallenness And so there needs to be an acknowledgement of that fallenness. There can be no restoration to God without acknowledgement of sin, repentance from sin and turning from it fully to the Lord. That's what justification is. That's what's accepting Jesus in your life is. And then the ongoing journey of sanctification is an ongoing work of Holy Spirit. When you come to the Lord, when you're renewed, when you're justified, the ongoing work continues because you receive into your life the Holy Spirit to become more like Christ. Yes, imperfectly, of course, this side of glory, but nevertheless to be more like him as is possible. So really the divine complaint against the people here is their deceitfulness both to God, but also to themselves. They're deceiving themselves. They were blind, so unaware of their fallenness, they could not perceive what they were doing was wrong. And so there's these judgment speeches in this passage. The first one, verses three to seven, there's this metaphor of the burning oven that burns with such intensity it devours the kings. Now, you might think, what's that about? Well, there was about three decades of turmoil, which you can find in 2 Kings chapter 15, and it was total turmoil. In a three de- approximately three-decade period, you had six kings ruling the northern kingdom, from Zechariah through to Hosea. Don't get that mixed up with Hosea. Hosea, H-O-S-H-E-A. So these six kings reigned. 
four of them were assassinated by the person who took their place, the usurper to the throne. There was one king that died naturally, but it says he, Manahem, died in his bed, but he did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the final king of the six, well, he flip-flopped between Assyria and Egypt and ended up the whole people and the northern kingdom falling under him. This is a picture of a palace, a royal dynasty, if you like, the kings and their officials reveling in the heat of evil, greedy for gain, for personal gain, utterly incapable of leading their people before the Lord. What it is, it's a picture of priests and courtiers delighting in wickedness, seeking power, position, and gain. And the metaphor that Hosea applies is this hot oven. It's apt. They burn like an oven. Their hearts are like an oven inflamed with lust for power. The picture of the flame in the oven smoldering overnight speaks actually of an ongoing wickedness that just won't subside. It just needs a little stoking in the morning to kick it up and it's off again. I remember that in my grandmother's house growing up in the farm, the Rayburn. You turn it right down at night and in the morning you could, turn, you could put some new logs on and then some coal and it would just spark up again because the embers were there all overnight. doesn't go out. And it's this fervor that Hosea says devours the rulers. It's the power at any cost that's the problem that led to these assassinations. And then they were paying tribute first to the Assyrian ruler and then tried to play the other game and go to Egypt playing one off against the other, trying to hold on to power through human alliances. But what they should have been doing is looking to God, for alliance with God. Their passion for power clouded their minds and they lost sight of where true power lay with Yahweh. The second metaphor comes in uh, verses 8 to 10 and it's a metaphor of inedible bread. There's other stuff there but predominantly the bread. Part baked bread or cake in some translations cooked only on one side. So this isn't like a sponge cake, which you do only cook on one side. I mean, it's there. This is, imagine a tandoor oven where you take the bread and it's it's a bread and you stick it to the side and the heat cooks on one side, but then you flip it and you cook it on the other side. Well, they've not done that. This nation of Israel is like a bread only cooked on one side. It's probably burnt on one side and raw on the other. It's inedible. It's been ignored by the baker. Unpalatable, not worth eating. One commentary I read suggested it's not pushing the imagery to say that Ephraim's side that was turned towards the nations was the badly burnt side, the overcooked side. It's the side where they turned the nation away from God and that got burnt. And the unpalatably weak commitment they had to Yahweh, well, that was the uncooked side. They were doing nothing. This is about international diplomacy of this nation. It was way off. 
It talks about them being kneaded and mixed with these other nations around them. It's like the leaven working through the bread. Remember those stories in Scripture? Jesus compared the yeast to the spread, actually a positive way. Uh, it is the spread of the kingdom of heaven. But equally, Paul talks about leaven is wickedness, the, the wickedness of the yeast spreading. And this is what's happened to the northern nation. They've allowed Baal worship and other nations and other ways and cultures to come in and spread amongst them, ethnically, spiritually. And so Israel can no longer be distinguished as a people of God. And God doesn't even, even need to judge them for it. It's something they bought on themselves. They, they're, they're judging themselves. They've mixed up this mix and then they're half cooked. You might think, how's this relevant today? How's this relevant in our church? Well, I would say, is the church today recognizable as God wants it and intends it to be? Is the church salt? Is it light? Are we disciple makers? Or are we instead resembling many other NGOs and charities doing good and great works, but really not distinguishable as the people of God? That's the crux. Because what distinguishes the people of God is our commitment to Jesus Christ and making disciples. It is, yes, about people's lives here on earth right now, but it's also about saving eternal souls. And I don't hear the church saying a lot about that. It's both and. In this section, Hosea throws in another metaphor. I'm not sure I like it. It's about going gray. I started going gray at 17. I saw my first gray hair. That's quite a long time ago. A couple of years' time. In fact, less than two years' time. That'll be 40 years ago. I've been going gray a long time. And I noticed my first gray hair. I was well aware of it, and I've been seeing, seeing more and more come every year. And now I don't think they're all probably there. I occasionally get told I've got some dark ones around the back of my head, but I can't see there. This metaphor, this sprinkling with grey, and that they don't notice, is talking about ageing. And actually when we get older, we lose some of the abilities we had in our youth. When we were young and guys were full of testosterone and strength, and I could play rugby and I didn't ache at the end of the match, I couldn't even play a game now. The metaphor, the process of graying hair, alludes to loss of strength with age. Aging comes to everyone, and at some point, death will follow, of course. And Israel, he's saying, ah, you are not seeing your aging. You're not seeing your weakness. You are not seeing death coming your way. They are arrogant, but in this section, through 8 to 10, it says also that Israel does not return to the Lord, his God, or search for him. Despite all this, they still don't see. And so he carries on with more metaphors. In 7 to 12, it's a metaphor of a stupid bird wandering, in, wanderingly, wandering aimlessly around and will be trapped. So this image of a dove or a pigeon, 
Well, the manse, has, manse garden has plenty of pigeons, I can say. This time of year, they're hanging out on the fence. Don't quite know what they're doing. I don't think they know what they're doing. And at some point, they will start to build nests. A bit of lovey-dovey courtship happens sometimes on the balcony. Toby doesn't like it. He will bark at them and see them away. But when you look at them, they don't appear the smartest of birds. I'm sure they are. But as they flock, they can seem chaotic, flying back and forth without purpose, so it seems, or flying to the easiest source of food or shelter. This is what Hosea is portraying. That Israel is a silly dove without any sense. In some sense, they're almost innocents. Not innocent, but innocents. When Jesus sent out the twelve, he said to them, to be as shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. And you might, that's, that's a weird saying. But what it's saying is your innocence needs mitigating with some wisdom, some cunning even. And Israel had not been wise in their dealings at all. I said earlier, under Manahem, it had submitted to Assyrian control, their, their neighbor to the north who was much more powerful, and they thought by paying tribute to the Assyrian ruler that they, he'd hold on to his power. Then under his successor, under Pekah, they joined a formal coalition with Assyria, and they were crushed. And then the next king, Hosea, he again acknowledged Assyrian rulership, rulership, but then he flipped. He tried to play both sides. He flipped it across to Egypt alliance, and that ultimately led to the exile, the destruction of the northern kingdom when the king of Assyria took over that nation and took the people away. Assyria, in other words, was the net that God was throwing over this silly nation like a dove. They were ensnared. And they were being warned. This is before it happened. Hosea is telling them. But they didn't listen. It, it did come to pass. And so the last chapter, verses of the chapter, really for me sum up the problems of the people. Not just Israel to whom Hosea was addressing this issue, but people through all ages. It's a problem today in the world and in the church. And this is verse 13 to 16, but it's about the consequences of straying and rebellion and lying, speaking against. Verse 13 says, Woe to them because they have strayed from me. Destruction to them because they have rebelled against me. I long to redeem them, but they speak about me falsely. In other words, they tell lies. They stray from God, they rebel against God, they tell lies about, about God. And it's all deception. But think about where it comes from. Who's the great deceiver? Satan. Right from the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, Satan says, did God really say? Did God really say? It's a deception. 
And then through to the temptation of Jesus, where uh, again he attempts to deceive Jesus. He is a deceiver, and humans, we're so gullible to his ways. So these accusations of straying and rebelling and speaking falsely, lying, are bound up in deception. When folk stray from God, they deceive themselves that they're finding freedom. You know the argument. People will say, God is a God of rules. He binds you in. You have to do this and you don't have to do the other. It's all rules, rules, rules. He's stopping the fun. He's a killjoy. But that's a deception. That's the enemy speaking. Because actually, straying from God removes the boundaries of our protection. It's like playing football or rugby with no rules and no pitch and just nothing. It's chaos. If we stray and remove God from our life, we remove our life as it should be truly lived. And rebelling against God, well, that's also deception. When folk rebel and say, I'm off, I don't need any God, I'm, or I'm going to another God or idol to serve, that rebellion doesn't find freedom, it finds enslavement. You find freedom in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, where true freedom is found. Anywhere else you seek, you will find enslavement. Rebellion mocks God, and Paul in Galatians addresses just that. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. If we sow rebellion against God, then we will will reap the consequences of it. For God desires to redeem those who are true to him, not those who rebel. And the last one, deception is at the heart of lying about God. To speak falsely, to deny him. When people say things like, God is a bully, that the God of the Old Testament is a different God from the one of the New Testament. When those say that God, Father, Son, and the Spirit, this Trinitarian thing, it doesn't really exist. God isn't unique. He's just one God among a pantheon of gods in our world, and all are equally valid. These are all untruths. And so it's self-deception again and again. And the Lord will not be mocked. Because there's no such thing as a little straying. There's no such thing as a little bit of rebellion. And there's no such thing as a little white lie. If you stray, you stray. If you rebel, you rebel. And if you lie, you lie. It's all untruth and God desires truth. God's desire is for people to turn to him. But instead, they're turning away. As it says in the closing verse, they do not turn to the Most High. They are like a faulty bow. The last metaphor. A bow that is either warped or it's not strung correctly will not fire a straight arrow. It will not hit the target. It will not be true. So too, a follower of God, a disciple of Christ, if we are not turned correctly to God, not aligned with Christ, not receiving of the Holy Spirit and connected in to Father, Son, and Holy Spirit through his word, then just like Israel, we will be swallowed up by the world.
That's what happened to Israel. They did not follow Yahweh and they were swallowed up by the world. So we must be full of truth, not lies. Seeking God, not straying. Obeying God, not rebelling. Northern Kingdom didn't do this. The consequence was exile, destruction, and ridicule by the nations around them. I'll wrap it up. Um, just about the church, really. What about the church today? Secularism is one of the main problems of culture today, where concern for the world, for the present life, overshadows completely the concern for God and about God and about life after death. In my prayers, I'll be praying for some of those we've lost in this church. For me, this has been a challenging year. Some, of, some people know it. In just over the past 12 months, some of the significant people who've passed in this congregation. But do you know, the ones I, I'm thinking about in my head knew this life is just temporary, as I said earlier on. Joy is found in the Lord. There's a perception amongst many that if you're modern and intelligent, you do not believe in God. It's like belief of children believing in Father Christmas and two fairies and all that sort of stuff. That once you grow up and you, you gain some intelligence, you stop believing. So too with God. The world's moved on from such ancient beliefs as progress is made and people and political parties claim to be progressive. Let me tell you, folks, when people claim to be progressive, it's not. It's regressive. It's not progress. They're blinded by stupidity. They're heading towards annihilation because when God is forgotten, sin is forgotten, and it becomes redefined to be, we can do whatever we want to do. Humans are no good judge of the truth. Because we write it to fit our own narrative of what we want to do. And so everything becomes permissible. So the church today, what does it need to learn from the passage in Hosea? To not turn from God. To not be absorbed into the world and its ways. We're to recognize and call out, as Hosea did, all acts of sin and wickedness, injustice and crime, deceit, theft, robbery, evil deeds, adultery, drunkenness, mockery, and so much more. And part of the so much more is rebellion against God, because that is a sin. And all sin has one result, death, destruction, and ruin. And I'm not talking about death in, of the human life. That will come to every single one of us. Eternal death rather than eternal life with the Lord. This Israel faced and it's part of the divine plan. The judgment of God is part of the divine plan. But so too are restoration and redemption. In our passage today, even amongst all this condemnation, you see these slithers, 13b, I long to redeem them. God may be a God who cannot abhor sin and will judge it, but he longs to redeem. 
But he then goes on and says, but they speak about me falsely. The church must speak truth, call out sin where it resides, and people into a relationship with God. For it is in a relationship with God that freedom and abundant life is found. There is nowhere to go, nowhere we seek or turn that can so offer so much as the Lord offers. Nothing in the world can offer you what God does. The Lord says, I long to redeem them. Will we, his people, listen? Let's pray. Lord, you are marvelous in your ways. You shower us with mercy. You rain upon us grace in your Son, our Lord Jesus. And for all who know him as Savior, we are grateful. For the ways of the Lord are narrow, the path and gate are not wide, yet you provide the light to see the way, the word to be read as the guide, and the bright morning star as the goal. So, Lord, I pray today for this, your world, for its fullness. For the way, evil and malevolent ways of this world. The dark and immoral wickedness that pervades the nations in schools and homes, and governments and business, in all ways of life. And I pray your light to shine forth in all its blazing glory. May we be that light, Lord not accepting the ways of the world, not shying away from calling out evil for what it is. And Lord, in our ways, in our words, in our actions, may they be just. May they show mercy and humility, for that is what you show us by the cross. The humbleness of Jesus who would give up his life for us sinners, that we would rise to new resurrected life and have the opportunity for rebirth by turning to him. So Lord, any here today or listening on the podcast who do not know the restoring power of our resurrected Savior, may they be touched now by the presence of Holy Spirit. God, may you call the elect to you right now and bring them in all humility before your throne of grace. Lord, I lift before you those struggling with health at this time, whether in body, soul, or spirit. May your healing presence in the power of the counselor, Lord Holy Spirit, rest upon his servants now. I pray for my own daughter, Abigail, in hospital. Lord, be with her. Bring her understanding as the doctors, nurses speak to her. And be with our family, I pray. And Lord, we give thanks for the saints who have gone before us this last year and in this last week. Lord, I want to acknowledge the service of the saints here in Gillespie, serving the kingdom of heaven through this church. We thank you for them, for all whom we have known and those we have known in my years here as minister. I give thanks and commend the families this morning of those people 
to your grace. For Stella Forsyth, George Dumper, John MacDonald, Ishbel Ritchie, Sheila Mitchell, Jim Blackwood, Barbara Unwin, George Arthur, Sylvia Reedy, Faye Collier, Sheila Lyle, David Timothy, Joyce Sutherland, Sandra Arnott, Betty Cager, and this week we commend to you Margaret and Louise on the passing of your servant, husband, and father, Robin Murray. Lord, we love those who have gone before us and on whose shoulders we stand as followers of Jesus Christ. Give us strength today to be the saints for those who will follow us, ever holding to the glory of Jesus, the communion of saints in this your church, and so protect us this day against the evils of the world as we seek to bring light to it. In the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sunday Worship Podcast from the team at GMC Dunfermline. Again, if you'd like more details about who we are, what we believe and how we serve, then visit our website at gillespiechurch.org or find us on Facebook or look back at some of our videos on our YouTube channel. Just search Gillespie Memorial Church. All inquiries can be made through the Contact Us page on our website. Again, details are in the show notes. If you'd like to support our work with a financial donation, then offerings can be made by clicking the Support Us with Stewardship icon on the homepage of the website. If you liked what you heard, then please share this podcast with friends and family and colleagues. Share the Word of God. This has been a production of GMC, including the pastors and the tech team. All copyright remains with the producers. Today's episode was edited by Jack Wiggle, And the soundtrack is, above all, by Lenny LeBlanc and Paul Beloche, performed by Gordon Eastop and Mike Weaver. Thanks for listening, and God bless.